Chapter 5 of The Fortune Hunter, a novel of New York Society by Anna Cora Mollett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. His name could sadden and his acts surprise. Byron. It was a bright noon. Broadway was thronged with smiling faces and rainbow toilettes, with fair girls who know of no other place in which to display their finery, wives who had abjured every resort of the gay world except its gayest promenade, young men who were walking against time, hoping to annihilate him by the process, old maids who came to be seen and to criticize whatever they saw, young maids whose thoughts were engrossed in showing one another their lovers, while they seemed to be listening to the tale outpoured in their delighted ears. Among the latter was Esther Clinton, and beside her walked Augustus Brainerd. The young lady looked languid and mournful as usual, and the young gentleman, as though vive la bagatelle was the only sentiment he could utter with sincerity how i weary of these brick walls and this dull city i sigh for the verdure of the woodland the song of the birds and the gush of the cool spring exclaimed esther you are always sighing thought brainard but he answered while you are so formed as to give charm to either the city or the country, both are alike to me. They were just crossing a street. Esther, with her head bent thoughtfully downward, found her eyes of little service. With an exclamation of great terror, Brainerd suddenly drew her back, and at the same time shielding her from some impending danger by courageously stretching out his arms in front of her my dear miss clinton in another moment those vile beasts would have trampled you under their feet i do not know when i have been so very much alarmed noble self-sacrificing man this is the second time you have preserved my life replied esther gratefully how can i reward you mr brainard was about availing himself of this opportunity of informing her in what manner she could very fully reward him when he was interrupted by somebody seizing his disengaged arm and very affectionately drawing it through his own ah brainard my dear fellow how do you do delighted to find you at last been looking for you all over new york every day this week delighted to see you pretty girl you've got here he added in a loud whisper who is she great country this great women finest women in the world introduce me mr brainard was so perfectly confounded that although he did not drop at full length in the street which was his first impulse and though he continued to walk on he could not gather courage to notice his friend's request Mr. Badger, however, always being at his ease, and presuming that Mr. Brainard did not understand him, stretched his conveniently long neck forward, and with an insinuating leer which he intended should do some execution, thus addressed the wondering Esther. "'How do you do, miss? 
feel honored to have had made the pleasure of making your acquaintance. A fine day this, a very fine day. Many fine days in this country, nothing like it. Brainerd saw the absolute necessity of putting a good face on the matter, and by a great effort recovered himself. Turning to Esther, with a pale cheek and a quivering lip, he said, "'Miss Clinton, allow me to present my friend, Mr. Badger.' "'Particular friend, my dear fellow,' whispered Badger. "'How do you do again, Miss Clinton? "'I shall call Brainerd here one of the best friends I have in the world "'if he introduces me to so much beauty every day.' "'And Mr. Badger made a short halt to accomplish the bow "'which he deemed it incumbent upon him to make. "'He is a good fellow, but rather eccentric,' remarked Brainerd. Soto voce to Esther. For my sake, bear with him until I can explain. By the power, there goes Mark Matheson. Did you see that olive-colored coach with those yellow linings? That man owes Benninger five hundred dollars. Isn't that sublime? No, Mr. Matheson, Miss Clinton. No, sir, I know him not. You don't say, an acquaintance of mine, a very particular friend. Wife ran away from him, trying to get her back. Can't do it, though. Law won't make her. Fine, woman, fine. Intend paying him a visit tomorrow. My dear Badger, I know you will permit me to speak freely with you. I have really something very special to say to this young lady that misfortune in your foot makes your pace rather too slow. Excuse me if I walk a little ahead of you. Not at all, not at all, my dear fellow. Don't let my foot annoy you. Never comes in my way. I can walk as fast as you like. Mr. Badger mended his gait as Mr. Brainerd quickened his or marred it, rather, for the pace at which he attempted to walk made his limp almost superfluously obvious. "'This is too bad, Bodger. Upon my word, I have something particular to say to the lady.' "'Certainly, my fellow. I shan't disturb you in the least. None so deaf as those who won't hear, you know. Just fancy me a post, and when you've done, I want to talk to the lady myself. Now don't be too monopolizing, mustn't he, Miss Clinton? I heard you not, sir. I say that Brainard here mustn't monopolize you altogether. Great country, this, and a free one. All men enjoy its privileges equally. Best things in it are the women. Fine women. Finest women in the world. Ain't they, Brainerd? Hey? Your sentiment is a very just one, Mr. Badger, and say no more. Mr. Badger's drawl, as he gave forth this new sentiment, bore some resemblance to his mode of walking, for he made a limping pause between each word, as between every step, yet dexterously connected it with the following one. "'Mr. Badger, will you listen to reason? Will you say no more?' "'But I must say more, sir, and I will tell you. 
Why, Brainerd, my dear fellow, why? And Badger gave a long, ludicrous, searching stare into the countenance of Mr. Brainerd. Why, you've been uncorking champagne already this morning. You have, I know it. Mr. Badger burst into a hearty laugh, shaking his head very reproachfully at Mr. Brainerd the whole time. When his mirth had somewhat subsided, he again stretched forth his swan-like throat towards Miss Clinton, and winking his left eye at her while he pointed his thumb at Mr. Brainerd, said, "'Don't you see something queer about him this morning? I saw it at once, your ladyship. I've just discovered—' discovered, <laughs> "'Shall I peach, Mr. Brainerd?' Mr. Brainerd's lips grew white with smothered rage. He clenched his teeth together and, scowling on Badger, strove to speak, but he only gave utterance to something resembling a low growl. "'Did ye see that lady in blue and scarlet, Miss Clinton? Fine woman! Know her very well! Her husband! Let us have an end to this farce, Badger. I know what you want. Call at my rooms to-morrow at ten, and I promise you that you shall be satisfied.' Promises ain't so good as pie crust sometimes. Didn't I call you last you told me? And didn't I find the cage open and the bird flown? You can't come back gammon over me any more. Since you will talk of business, I'll tell you my intentions. I've found you now, and I like you too well to part company. When you're ready to walk home, so am I, and then we can talk this matter over at our ease. First, my feelings as a gentleman. And Badger touched the left side of his coat. Prop me to take care of the lady. After that, to business. Mr. Badger spoke with earnestness, but in too low a tone for more than a casual word to meet Esther's ear. "'But you do know you are frustrating, perhaps the only means I shall ever have of paying you. "'Ah, indeed, plenty of spoons, eh?' "'And Mr. Badger playfully touched his nose with his thumb, "'and at the same time quivering his fingers, to signify that he understood. "'Yes, as a man of sense, you must see the necessity of leaving me now, "'and tomorrow at ten I shall not fail you.' "'Say no more! You attack me in a tender place when you use the ladies as an argument,' said Mr. Badger aloud. "'He does, Miss Clinton, I assure you he does, but since you young folks want to be left together, I won't spoil sport. So good morning, a very good morning, Miss Clinton, happy to have made your acquaintance. Brainerd, my good fellow, good morning!' Mr. Badger swept his hat gracefully through the air and passed on. Brainerd drew a long breath, which seemed to relieve his chest from some invisible weight, and his cheeks, before quite pale, became flushed with burning crimson. "'What a very singular person! How he alarmed me! Is he insane, Mr. Brainerd?' said Esther, clinging for protection to her companion's arm. Yes, a little, that is, on one or two subjects, 
poor fellow. I really do pity him. Shall I tell you the truth? Pray, don't mention it. The fact is that the sight of a beautiful woman completely upsets him. He must have caught a glimpse of you as we pass by, and having seen me once or before, twice, he determined to claim an acquaintance for the sake of being near you. I knew his weakness and humored him. Can you pardon me? Pardon you for succoring the unfortunate? How can you ask me such a question? Baynard drew another long breath, which seemed to benefit even more than the former one. But in proportion, as his spirits rose, those of Esther sank. And Brainerd, observing her mood, thought it dangerous to resume the conversation which Mr. Badger had so inopportunely interrupted. Mr. Badger looked back once or twice as he pursued his way down Broadway, and gave Brainerd a patronizing nod, which the latter gentleman could not have observed, for he never once had the civility to return it. "'What's next?' soliloquized Mr. Badger, as he drew a long and narrow strip of paper from his pocket. "'Let me see. Cummings, Catterfly, Nielsen, Never Pay, Morrison, Mordaunt. Ah, Mordaunt. That's just on my way. Must say a word or two to that chap today. Ugh, what a wry face he'll make. No gentleman. He treats a man of my standing like a dog. Gentlemen that are gentlemen respect the talents in all its varieties. Here's for Mordaunt. Never bled that old quiz yet. Will go hard with me if I can't find some soft place to stick the lancet today. Away darted Mr. Badger, for he knew the value of his own time and how much of it was unnecessarily consumed by his acquaintances. His onward course was only interrupted by a few hearty shakes of his hands, which he thought it necessary to dispense among his particular friends. He stopped before a three-story house in Pearl Street, near the Battery. The building stood almost entirely alone. The faded paint on the bricks and the door, the dilapidated blinds and the yellowish shutters closed throughout the house, gave it a gloomy and deserted appearance. Mr. Badger mounted the steps. There was no bell, and the knocker was too much rusted to move without giving forth some sounds of complaint. Badger's practiced hand, however, extracted from it a noise that would have roused seven sleepers. The summons was unanswered. Again Badger lifted the knocker and dexterously eased its stiffened hinges with another peal. Still no answer. A third time he seized the noisy instrument and only relinquished it after taking some more severe gymnastic exercise than was his custom. The key at last turned, several bolts were undrawn, the door opened just wide enough for the person within to ascertain who stood without, and the croaking voice of an aged female sulkily demanded, "'What be you making all this noise about?' "'Very sorry to disturb you, my good lady, very, to take so much trouble boxing your door, no use, trouble never gets paid for.' Mr. Mordaunt at home, my respected lady. None of your lady in palavering here. There bean't no ladies in this house. Mr. Mordaunt aren't at home. 
Didn't suppose he was. Only asked for information. Take care, continued Mr. Badger, placing his club foot forcibly against the door, which the woman was attempting to shut in his face. Have a word to say to you, my dear lady. Always delighted to talk with the ladies. Mr. Mordaunt ain't home, eh? Suppose he's coming home, though. Just about his dinner hour. Smell the dinner quite strong. Good soup you make. Quite good. Keen nose, this. Mr. Badger designated the organ he alluded to in a manner which pointed out its locality even more decidedly than nature's lavish hand had done. I don't know when Mr. Mordaunt will come home. You'd best call again, said the old woman. Bless your beautiful old face. Not the slightest use of that. Suppose I don't know better manners when I'm visiting a gentleman? Don't trouble yourself. I'll come in and take a seat in the parlor. Oh, door opens hard. Must grease the hinges. As Mr. Badger said these words, he inserted his stick into the crevice of the door, for the old woman was pushing against it with all her strength, and gently pried it open. Lord a mercy, save us! You ain't going to knock one down and talk of manners, be you? Pardon me, my dear lady. I thought I could assist you. Stupid door, very stupid. What's grazing? Mr. Badger gallantly assisted the grumbling old woman to rise from her half-recumbent posture and saved her the trouble of closing the street door by shutting it himself. After this, he walked along the entry and turned the first doorknob. The room was locked. He tried the next. The door opened, and he entered the back parlor, followed by the old woman, who continued to mutter and groan. The room was cheerless and almost devoid of furniture. A small table in the center was partially spread for dinner. Mr. Badger seized upon the well-warm armchair, which was placed before the solitary plate, and, drawing it to the window, peered through the dusty panes, as though he was expected to enjoy some scenery. The yard was large and filled with noxious weeds grown to the height of shrubs. Mr. Badger gazed upon them with evident satisfaction. Fine garden, rich soil, good growth here. Sublime, ain't it? Take care of it all yourself, ladies, love flowers. Amiable weakness, isn't it? You be not going to stay here, sir. Mr. Mordaunt won't be home for more than an hour. Don't let it afflict you, my dear lady. I'm quite disengaged, very comfortable here. Don't mind waiting. But who's going to stay with you here to wait on you? I's got dinner to cook. All them fish will be burnt to death. I smell them burning now. Oh, don't let the fish spoil. Very sorry to lose your delightful company, but dinner must be attended to. Don't stand on ceremony, my dear lady. I'll entertain myself with the prospect from this window. The old woman lingered, giving forth at intervals a low, querulous sound, but the odor of burning fish became so perceptible that it drew her irresistibly away. "'Mind you, don't stir out of this room,' said she, and hobbled downstairs to save her master's dinner from the consuming element. Mr. Badger sat a while in contemplative mood, gazing on the weeds and probably reflecting on the weed-like growth of sin. When he wearied of this fascinating occupation, he looked around the room, but the remnants of faded furniture were too time-war to bear much examination. Considerable of a house of this for such an old quiz, living all alone? 
No use to him at all. Wonder why he don't sell it. Bring more than enough to pay his debts fifty times over. Wonder what he does with the upper story. Just take a peep now I'm here to see what the house would bring at auction. Mr. Badger left the room on his errand of investigation and ascended the stairs. He tried every door of the second story but found them all locked. He was ascending the flight which led to the third story when he paused suddenly. His ear caught a wild, low strain of music, which seemed to proceed from some chamber above. It was the sound of a female voice. While Mr. Badger stood listening in wonder, the song ceased. The next moment it burst forth again in a wilder, louder strain. Mr. Badger's composure fortunately never forsook him. Led by the sound, he continued ascending the flights of steps until he found himself in the attic. Some pretty chambermaid, thought he. Take a peep at all events. Get her perhaps to remind her master, when she's making his bed every morning, of his little account. No harm in trying. The singing continued, now loud, now low, now joyful, and now sad. Mr. Badger approached the room from which it proceeded, and gently tapped upon the door. The song proceeded, and no answer was made. The next time he knocked, louder, and louder grew the song, but still no answer. He then attempted to lift the latch, but the door was locked and the key extracted. This was too much for Mr. Badger. True, his joints were somewhat stiff, and they cracked reluctantly as he compelled them to obedience, but he knelt down, notwithstanding, and put his eye to the keyhole. Why, that old profligate! Who'd have suspected it? Ain't this sublime? Why, he's got a woman locked up here! Great country, this! Great country! And Mr. Badger rubbed his hands in unfeigned delight. Fine woman! Superb! Pale, though, very pale. Not enough of her, quite. Afraid the old quiz don't feed her very well. Black hair hanging down to her knees, like the mad woman in the play. What big black eyes! Who's she looking at? Nobody there? Talking to somebody, though. Can't see another soul in the room. Singing again now? What the deuce makes her squeeze her hands together in that outlandish fashion? Little white hands, white as her dress. Nothing like a woman's hand. That old profligate. Looking so blue all the while. And this the way he's amusing himself? Great country, this. Great country. Greatest country in the world, that's certain. Mr. Badger entertained himself a few moments longer at the keyhole until the wind which eddied through it made his eyes water when, all at once, he appeared to become sensible of the impropriety of spying the actions of a lady while she was unconscious of his presence and called out, "'Beg your pardon, my lady. How do you do this morning? Delighted to make your acquaintance. Fine day, your ladyship. Very fine day. Is Mr. Mordor at home?' A wild shriek issued from the chamber at these words, and then came cries of, "'Let me out! Let me out! Oh, let me out!' succeeded by agonizing sobs and moans. 
Don't be alarmed, your ladyship. It's only me. Never alarm the ladies. Don't scream now, don't. Only just wanted to know how you did. Hope your ladyship... Mr. Badger was interrupted by the clutch of a hen which grasped him fiercely about the nape of his neck. He turned so abruptly that his head knocked against that of some other person. The old woman was bending over him. At first glance, he thought the place that of a demon. So full was it of satanic rage and fury. Beg pardon, my dear lady. Hope I didn't hurt you very much. Here he be, master, shrieked the old beldame at the top of her cracked voice. I hope to mercy you'll pitch him out of the window or he'll ruin us. These words were succeeded by a quick, heavy tread on the stairs, and before Mr. Badger could rise from his lowly posture, Mr. Mordaunt was standing before him. Mr. Mordaunt's livid countenance expressed fear and horror rather than wrath. For a few seconds the two looked at each other in silence, Mr. Mordaunt as though he was too petrified to speak, and Mr. Badger with an air of virtuous yet playful rebuke. At length the latter slowly rose from his knees and exclaimed, shaking his head, "'Oh, you old reprobate! Didn't think of you! I didn't! Hadn't sowed your wild oats yet, eh? Fine woman, fine eyes! Sings like an opera woman at the part! Introduce me, will you?' Mr. Mordaunt stretched out his arm and, touching Mr. Badger on the shoulder, hoarsely whispered, "'Come down!' "'Pitch him out the window, master!' screamed the old woman." Mordaunt looked at her with a frown, exclaimed, Silence! Go in and see that all is right. You introduce me, then, said Badger. Well, as you like. Don't want anybody else to ruffle the feathers of your bird, eh? Right, sir. Quite right. Mr. Badger, have the goodness to follow me downstairs. Certainly, certainly. Why, the old prig is growing quite civil, thought Mr. Badger. The influence of a woman, nothing like it. The influence of a woman makes lambs of us. They entered the parlor. Mr. Mordaunt closed the door, pointed out a chair to Mr. Badger, and sank into one himself. At first he appeared to be too much overcome to speak, and Mr. Badger very considerately looked out the window, remarking, Fine growth you've got out there. Mr. Badger, at lad said Mr. Mordaunt, the unfortunate discovery you have made. Not at all. Don't let it distress you, my dear fellow. Know how to make allowances for the weaknesses of human nature. No creature comfort, after all, like a downright pretty woman, like one myself sometimes. Yours looks rather pale, though. Yes, you are very considerate, sir. I am much obliged to you, Mr. Badger, and I have one great favor to ask. The lady, my... The person you saw desires to live in the greatest seclusion, as, as her health. Poorly, I dare say. She looks poorly. Must make her take the air. Give her color. Take my vest. Don't keep her too confined. Don't. It won't do with a woman. I thank you for your advice, sir. My request is that you will promise never to reveal the discovery you have made. Of course not. Man of honor, sir. Touch me on a tender point. 
I have your promise, then. To be sure, wouldn't lisp a word of it for the world. By the by, that reminds me of something I forgot to mention. Slip a paper here. You'll oblige me by looking it over. Great deal of business on hand this afternoon. Like you to settle yours without delay. Dinner getting spoiled. Lady up there looked hungry. Never mention her again if you hope to get a farthing of the money said Mr. Mordaunt, so sternly that his visitor almost jumped out of his seat. Mr. Mordaunt opened an old desk and took from it two or three bills and some silver. This is the last money I have in the world. Take it. But unless you hope to repent most bitterly, remember there is one subject to which you are never to allude. Oh, certainly. Five, six, seven, ten, twelve, and one, two, three, four, five shillings. Twelve dollars and five shillings. That leaves seventeen dollars yet due. Pay me tomorrow? Impossible. I have not another shilling in the world. But keep your promise. I will pay. I will call upon you next week. Don't trouble yourself. I never trouble people that way. Step around myself next Tuesday. I hope to save you the necessity. And now, Mr. Badger, as I am somewhat fatigued, I beg you'll excuse me. Want to get rid of me, eh? Going to pay a visit to... Uh, Mr. Badger pointed upwards with his thumb, and at the same time significantly jerking up his left shoulder. Silence! Never mention that subject again, almost shouted Mr. Mordaunt. Oh, uh, beg your pardon. Won't detain you. Shall call next Thursday. Uh, present my... Uh, oh, now, don't. Don't mean to offend. Good morning. I wish you a very good morning. Don't forget Tuesday. Mr. Badger left the house well pleased with his visit, so well that he determined to deprive himself of dinner until he had paid another. Who's next? Let's see. Edgar Chadwick, ten dollars to his bootmaker. That's in Waverly Place. We'll take the bus and be there in five minutes, just to catch him at dinner. Never had a bill against him before. Green. That makes him a pony up at once. Mr. Badger hailed an omnibus, jumped in, and looked around to see whether any of his particular friends were present, and with whom he could transact a little business in his line. For once he was disappointed. The stage stopped for him to alight at Waverly Place, without his having met a single acquaintance. He took his way to one of the most elegant mansions in the street. Mr. Chadwick at home? No, sir. Suppose the doctor's at home? The servant, being unaccustomed to visitors of Mr. Badger's character, replied, Yes, sir, he is, and Mr. Edgar will be here by dinner-time. Oh, Willie, quite right. I'll wait. Let the doctor know that a gentleman wants to see him. Yes, sir. Please walk into the office. Mr. Badger walked in, and soon after, a portly-looking personage with peculiarly neat and jaunty exterior entered the room. Dr. Chadwick, how do you do, sir? Happy to make your acquaintance. My name's Badger, sir. Badger. Fine day, fine. Had the honor to call on Master Edgar. My son's not home, sir. I was informed that you had some business with me. Not that honor, sir, sorry to say it. A slip of paper here for Master Edgar. Uh, 
fine young man. Presume you're his banker. Quite as leave transact business with you, sir. Small account I have the honor to collect from Mr. Wagner, the bootmaker. Let me see it. Ten dollars? Has there been any difficulty in my son's paying the account that it was placed in your hands? Can't say, sir. Mr. Wagner's generally impatient, very impatient man. Always likes the cash down, all alike, sir. Gentlemen in trade want their money, and gentlemen out of trade won't pay. Great country, this. Great country. Receipt the account, sir. Here's the money. And I hope this is the last bill that may ever be presented in this manner against my son. Certainly, sir. It is a pleasure to be treated in this gentlemanly way. Persons of my profession, sir, know a gentleman at a glance. Your children, those two little lambs in the entry, beautiful darlings, very like you, sir. Very like great country, this great country. Fine children, finest children in the world. As Mr. Badger ran merrily down the front steps, he came into contact with Mr. Chadwick, who was briskly ascending them. Beg pardon, sir. Had a little business with you. Your father settled it. Excellent father yours. He's a gentleman, sir. A gentleman. An honor to his country. Great country. This great fathers. And Mr. Badger, seeing another omnibus in the distance, abruptly finished his discourse and vanished. That is an odd individual I met this moment on the steps. "'Do you know who he is, sir?' asked Edgar, as he entered the drawing-room. "'I am afraid his errand was to make your acquaintance. "'I am grieved to find that you have already commenced receiving visits of a collector. "'And for so trifling a sum, he had a bill of ten dollars against you for boots. "'Is that possible? Why, the money has not been due ten days. "'That speaks badly for your credit, my son.' Here comes your mother. Let us go in to dinner, and we will talk over this matter. The family party seated themselves at table, and the worthy doctor helped his wife, his son, and himself, and dismissed the waiter before he resumed the subject of Mr. Badger. You are very young, my son, to have a bill presented to you in such a manner. Not three and twenty until next June, are you? The life of a young physician— who has his fortune to make, is not the easiest in the world. I know something of his struggles from experience. Now, if a man can very easily save himself all this trouble, do you see any reason why he should not do it? No, provided he may do it honorably. But really, I do not understand you. Have patience, and I will explain. I hear the bells call you a handsome and agreeable young fellow. Though your mother and I... Here the doctor looked humorously at his wife. May think you an ordinary puppy. It is very fortunate that some peoples are of a different opinion. Go on, my dear sir. I am quite too polite to contradict that. Edgar, said his mother, your father takes a long time to tell his story, so I will assist in getting you at the cream of it at once. Have you any antipathy to matrimony? Quite the contrary. Then, of course, you have no objection to a rich wife. That is another part of speech. Perhaps I have. I shall never marry a woman that I do not love. Fiddle-dee-dee, exclaimed the doctor. All boys talk so. You'll outgrow that nonsense. 
then i shall do more than my father or mother have done replied edgar smiling on the contented-looking couple the smile was reflected on both their faces but the calculating spirit of the father would not permit him to be so soon driven from his purpose my son as i have said before a young physician has to struggle as you struggled thirty years ago my dear sir and at the end of that time he may gain your enviable position not so certain even if it was i do not desire to see you go through the furnace as i have done not if i come forth gold seven times refined no no i tell you therefore do not jest any more or you will make me lose my temper i am in earnest some of my patients informed me yesterday that miss esther clinton shows a decided preference for you now you cannot do better than marry her with your permission i think i can do much better i do not aspire to give you quite so romantic and troublesome a daughter-in-law as miss esther we will not find her money in the least troublesome i promise you when i marry it will be with a woman not a money-bag a woman who i love and whom my parents cannot help loving but miss esther will never be my wife in a word my affections are engaged elsewhere i last night offered her hand and was accepted you did did you and i suppose you expect my consent said the doctor with much anger as surprise i hope for it but should it be unreasonably refused i must content myself without it unreasonably without it let me tell you you headstrong young dog you edgar why will you exasperate your father so needlessly let him know the lady's name and i dare say all will be right i am proud in naming her i can name miss aria walton miss walton shouted the father miss walton screamed the mother edgar are you out of your senses she has not a cent in the world pardon me my dear mother but had you any fortune when you married to my father if i obtain as good a wife as my mother has been that is all i desire you certainly cannot find fault with my treading in the steps of my parents but i do find fault and i shall take care you shall not do it sir pray how do you expect to support miss walton interrogated the doctor by my profession if her poverty is your only objection to the lady certainly it cannot be insurmountable but it is not my only objection family consideration is something family purity is a great deal who is miss aria's father and who has ever heard of her mother i will tell you her father is in all probability mr mordaunt and her mother some woman who was too great a disgrace for her sex for mr mordaunt to make his wife is the offspring of such a woman that you intend to present to me as a daughter if it is sir she never comes under this roof i have laid up some little fortune through my hard industry but if you bring this disgrace upon my name i have bequeathed to you my money shall never be yours i will give it to the orphan asylum rather 
if you have so poor an opinion of my abilities as a physician perhaps you think that even then it may benefit some of my offspring replied edgar laughing good-humouredly do you make a jest of me sir by heavens i have a great mind my dear husband do not be hasty edgar was always better managed by gentle means rather than harsh i have only one word to say so long as he lives he shall never marry miss walton with my consent if he marries her without it i will never leave him a shilling you have used the very worst argument in the world by which to influence me my dear father i am of the opinion that nothing can be more prejudicial to the interest of a young man than the possession of a fortune even had i thought otherwise you can think so poorly of me as to suppose that i would sacrifice the happiness of my whole life to mercenary considerations that i would barter enjoyment for gold but my son said mrs chadwick gently you will surely not marry a woman with a stain upon her name if the stain came not through her own acts i would not hesitate one moment to do so is she answerable for the sins of others would i be just in making her so then you insist on marrying the girl demanded the doctor although i shall sincerely regret your groundless opposition i do replied edgar then i can tell you that within these doors you shall never bring her and that one cent of my money shall never go to buy her bread let us drop the subject for present pleaded miss chadwick you are both warm and you may change your opinions not i for one said the doctor positively and i must echo the words of my father replied young chadwick with equal determination mrs chadwick made an imploring signal to her husband to say no more and he reluctantly obeyed the rest of the dinner would have been devoured in silence but for the lively sallies of edgar who had probably anticipated his father's opposition when the dishes were removed finding the doctor unwilling to converse he took his hat and walked out mrs chadwick then drew her chair close to her husband and coaxingly drawing the newspaper from his hand said we may prevent all this disturbance if you like without trying to combat edgar i should like to know how was the surly reply listen then and see if you do not approve of my plan miss walton probably does not suspect the unfortunate situation in which she stands with the world she is a girl of great refinement and delicacy of feeling a fig for her refinement she was refined enough to catch my son hear me out you are acquainting with the lemmings suppose you call on them have an interview with miss walton and plainly inform her of your objections to the match and your reasons if she is the girl i suppose her to be she will at once refuse edgar and we will have no further trouble excellent wife excellent leave a woman alone for a plot i'll do it no fear but i can work on her feelings not the slightest then you must make her promise that she will not state her reasons for rejecting edgar to him and not even mention your interview with her precisely that will settle the matter we'll see master edgar said the doctor whether you will marry when i will say you shall not we'll see End of chapter 5